Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. It's the end of 2020 almost, Kaushik. It seems like the year that never ends, but uh, it's getting close. <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. It's, yeah, October, uh, two more months, and hopefully all of this night, the nightmares that we're seeing today should come to an end. True, but that's exciting. But even what's more exciting is actually being able to talk about a topic that I'm passionate about and you're very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, and that's testing. And so you actually found someone uh, that we've kind of known for a little bit in the community and invited them to on the show. And I was wondering if you might be able to introduce who you were bringing on the show and uh, we can start chatting. Absolutely. So it's, it's funny, literally episode one, was Android about Android testing, and now we are on two hundred and one. So I feel like you know, it's it's time to do a state of the union with testing to see how far we have come. <laughs> and I think we have found like the perfect guest. So uh, without further ado, I would like to bring in Valera. How's it going, Valera? Hey, Kashik and Dan, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Doing well, doing well. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I appreciate uh, you inviting me. Yeah, for sure. So if as we usually like to do here on the show for folks that maybe are not familiar with who you are and what you've done, if you could kind of give a, a brief overview of your history uh, with Android, uh, maybe kind of where you have worked and kind of just bring us up current about uh, a little bit of background information about you so we can uh, have some familiarity between all of us and the listeners. Sure. I, I can start uh, maybe backwards as usually how I do it. Um, I'm currently a uh, tech lead uh, or the tech lead of the mobile developer experience team at Slack. Um, this team actually covers both of the mobile platforms, so iOS and Android. Um, and I've been at Slack for around four and a half years, time flies. Uh, prior to that, I was on a brief uh, sabbatical. And then prior to that, I worked at Google for uh, four and a half years, or actually three and a half, sorry. Uh, and at Google, I joined um, to work on the Google Wallet uh, at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was called Google Wallet. And uh, this was a startup Damn. Uh, kind of within Google. Uh, and later that morphed into what we now know as Android Pay. Uh, is it still called Android Pay, by the way? They keep changing the name. Maybe Google Pay now. Google Pay now, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, you see, I have lost track. Uh, <laughs> but out of that project, uh, we this was the kind of maybe not the early, early days of Android, but still fairly early. Uh, I believe when I joined, uh, the latest version of Android was Gingerbread. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as, you, as you remember, testing was in a bit of shambles, and uh, I was a software engineer in test, so my mission was to provide testing support for, for the, team, the developers that were uh, developing Google Wallet. Uh, and uh, I, we quickly realized, that, you know, the team that was working on it, that uh, we're going to have to do a lot of work there. Uh, and I just uh, happened to really luck out and uh, work with... Uh, a brilliant uh, tech lead, um, a guy named Tom Kinch, uh, and also just really, uh, you know, a, a small team of very good engineers. Uh, and out of that, we, you know, we decided that we would really like to start building tools for testing. Um, everyone is, was dealing with uh, the same kind of problems uh, at the time for everybody, at least at Google, uh, you know, not just for Google Wallet, but for all the other Google apps. And so we formed a small team um, and we uh, started uh, developing those tools 
And uh, some of them that you may have heard of uh, are Espresso. Um, there's also Project Nitrogen, which by the way, hasn't launched, but a uh, Google that existed since about 2012, I think. Uh, so that's kind of like some of the infrastructure that uh, that our team built that, you know, to enable uh, all of the Google uh, engineers to do mobile Android development. Uh, and uh, then we, of course, realized that there is a lot of demand for uh, for these tools externally. So uh, we started releasing some of them uh, to uh, the wider Android community. Uh, so that that's kind of my my story with with Android and with Android testing tools. That is crazy. That's awesome. I it, it's funny to like see the other side of the chapter because I remember Don and I were very famous about complaining because both of us are big. <laughs> we're we're very big into testing. Uh, from mm -hmm. like the last two hundred episodes, people would notice. But it's nice to see that like you know on the other side of the aisle there were folks who cared about this with as much sort of <laughs> fervor. Yeah. But also, it's a testament to see like some of the tools that have come out. Like you know, Espresso has changed the game. It's like fair to say that in Android development espresso uh, gray box testing has like been a boon for most developers who have at least had some inclination of doing you know some level of ui testing yeah i'm i'm really happy to hear that um part of the reason why i actually was curious about joining slack and becoming a i was a feature developer for a brief period of time is because when i when i was working on espresso on uh, developing espresso uh within google I we had a you know a, a test application that we tested espresso with, uh, but I never really fully developed features and tested those features with espresso. And I always, in the back of my mind, I could see that the framework was popular. In the back of my mind, I always had doubts: Does this thing really actually work uh, as we intended it, as we promised it would work? And I think that uh, when I joined Slack and I wrote my first espresso test that tested a feature that I wrote. Uh, I was able to set it up in a way that that it you know it was actually a reliable test. Uh, it 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 didn't work out of the box, so there were some caveats that uh, we had to address. Uh, but uh, I was happy to see that it actually did uh, sort of mostly deliver on the on the vision. I mean, it's funny. I actually even remember the first time uh, I think I met you was at a Google I/O. I can't remember which Google I/O right now, but I remember. Uh, this was like, you know, just after you had uh, uh, probably left Google mm -hmm. and in one of those fire uh, state of the, uh, I forget what they call it, the uh, fire side Fireside chat. chat. Yeah, yeah. You came up to the mic and you were like, oh, we need like Google to do more about Espresso. And was I was like, wait, isn't that also the dude who also built Espresso? And I was like, what is happening here? So I had a moment and... It's only, I think, after that, that, like, yeah, we met up and chatted. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's nice to yeah. see the whole story come around. Mm -hmm. So I guess one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you specifically now is you have seen full circle how, like, you know, it is building the testing framework and, you know, building the testing framework for Android. And uh, now you're on the other side where you're using these frameworks. Mm -hmm. And so... We thought it would make a lot of sense to ask you, like, you know, where do you think, in your opinion, because you clearly have a lot of experience testing, and also like now that uh, at Slack you see it for both iOS and Android, you know, so mobile yeah. in general. What exactly? Mm -hmm. What is your opinion about where testing stands today uh, for Android development, right? And you know, do you think it makes sense? It's easy to test. Do you think more developers should be testing? There's no reason we shouldn't be. Are there any tools missing? Like, yeah, just give us like the initial download of what you think mm -hmm. uh, 
where testing stands today for Android development? Sure, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, lately, and especially I, I like the fact that you pointed out that I work on both platforms. I can really see the the, the differences and just TLDR, Android is years ahead of uh, iOS uh, at this point in time. Uh, and I um, and there's several reasons for that. So I, I like this analogy that I came up with recently. Of course, I like it. I came up with it. Um, <laughs> that uh, if you think about testing at scale, and it doesn't have to be a huge scale. Uh, our scale is not huge. We only have one application, but uh, we still have quite a number of tests and we want to run them frequently. Uh, why, you know, if you're writing tests, you want to run them, right? Uh, the the system the, the problem of having the, the entire system be reliable to me it looks very similar to how modern data centers are built um, where uh, there is what you could it used to be I guess commodity hardware uh, and it's known that each individual unit can fail and the system is built around the fact that you know th that that unit can be sort of taken out and managed separately uh, and it's not going to impact the overall reliability of the system so i think um, I, i'm thinking about this problem a lot right now because on ios we we still cannot reliably run our pr checks uh, whereas on android we can i started thinking why is that uh, so what what kind of precursors do you need in order for this to uh, to happen and it's a lot more than just about authoring the tests. And authoring the tests mm -hmm. is, is very important. And you do need a framework that allows you to author reliable tests. You also need an app architecture that supports um, reliable testing that allows you to mm -hmm. isolate components and and so forth and so on. We kind of wrote a blog post that tries to address uh, at least part of that issue, uh, setting mm -hmm. up kind of your application state, you know, is, is, is a critical part of reliable testing, of authoring reliable tests. Uh, but then you, here's, here's the thing that really differentiates Android from iOS um, is the ability to run tests at scale and to run them in an isolated way. Um, if if you, we talk about unit testing, then things are maybe roughly similar JVM versus um, mm -hmm. kind of your Swift tests that run against the simulator. Although, for example, you still do need a simulator most of the time to run Swift tests unless you do some hacking. Yeah, that's the other thing that I noticed recently when I was working on some iOS. Uh, yep, yeah. I, again, like to give some more history, like I remember I talked to Zavi in the early, early days of Android, and I used to complain a lot about this. I was like, why do I need to like spin up a whole JVM? <laughs> These are just unit tests. They should just run like super yeah. fast, right? And yeah. Yeah. It, it's odd to see that like, yeah, today in Android, that's totally possible. Like, you know, our unit yeah. tests run like significantly faster because you're not spinning up anything, right? An emulator or a simulator. Um, yeah, but the flip side is also like the thing is because it is a simulator on iOS, it's not that bad either. It is definitely slower yeah. than our unit tests, but it's not that bad, right? Or do you feel like yeah, the performance overhead is not nearly as high as for the Android emulator? So I think yeah, there is definitely uh, the, they have less of an incentive to move off of the simulator. I don't think it's a big deal, hmm. but yeah, where I, where I was going to say you know the 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 big differentiator is the ability to run instrumentation or on-device tests, so let's call them that, uh, at, in an isolated fashion and at scale. So uh, I think actually the Android orchestrator is, is kind of uh, maybe not widely understood piece of infrastructure. 
Um, but it's, I, I think it's super critical if you want to have lots of tests and run them frequently. Can you talk a little about that? Because you mentioned some very interesting yeah. terms. So yeah. yeah, what is it? Yeah, so the Android orchestrator is, is a component that um, essentially guarantees that every instrumentation test, uh, when you turn on orchestrator, uh, is executed in its own process. Uh, and this came out um, hmm. of, of uh, uh, an observation that uh, we made when we were uh, writing infrastructure that runs uh, tests all of the tests at Google, which is millions and millions of tests. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so you see these uh, maybe less frequent uh, occurrences of flakiness that you would maybe not normally see in other companies. Uh, and uh, again, Tom Kinch, the, the, our tech lead, noticed that uh, there is a lot of um, statefulness around Android processes that run on Android. And so if well, one very easy one, of course, if if a, if a test crashes, uh, then the entire process goes down, and then uh, the remainder of the tests don't don't finish. So that's kind of an easy one. Uh, but then there's other, I think, more more tricky things where um, state builds up and uh, can uh, impact downstream tests. And so uh, at that point, he kind of said that, and this is especially true, I believe, of when you launch the Android application. So when you're launching uh, and doing UI testing. Uh, and at that point, uh, it became clear that we need some sort of uh, process level isolation where every single test method is launched uh, in its own process. Uh, so, you know, to put it in very practical terms, that's the ADB shell AM instrument command for every uh. single test method versus you know, ADB shell AM instrument command for uh, just say a test class or the entire test suite. Um, and there, you know, the, the, the thing is that when you, when you do it this way, uh, you're paying a pretty significant performance penalty. Essentially, you're paying the penalty of cold start for, um, for your application. So it does incentivize you to reduce your cold start time also. Uh, and it's, this penalty is significant, uh, but it really, really um, gives you much higher reliability when you're running uh, your instrumentation tests. So how do you deal with that penalty? Um, you deal with that by essentially scaling uh, horizontally and running your test suite across many, many different um, devices. And that's some, simply on iOS, this is a really difficult problem to solve right now. There is no equivalent of Firebase test lab um, virtual devices uh, that are cheap and plentiful or unlimited for our sakes and purposes. Um, and on Android, uh, all of these kind of pieces of infrastructure exist, uh, and therefore it, it is easier to sort of uh, manage a large Android test suite. This process that you called is also basically what they call sharding, right? Like test sharding mm -hmm. in some yeah. uh, fashion. Yes. Uh, yeah. The parallelization sharding. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, uh, and the tool that we uh, we use that I will recommend to almost everyone looking at sharding and uh, parallelizing their testing is Flank. Flank. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a, yeah. it's a project um, uh, by I believe Matt Edwards, and uh, it's written on Kotlin. It's modern code base, um, actively maintained uh, by several maintainers. Um, they fix bugs quickly and uh, add features. Um, they they've been very. It's been a very solid piece of infrastructure that I'm glad we adopted. If anyone's interested, and they want to learn more about it. On episode 163, we we talked uh, about Flank with Matt Runo from American Express. So if anyone wants to know more about it, that's right. That's right. That's awesome. So you mentioned the 
orchestrator portion. And uh, what you're saying is something like this does not exist on iOS. So if I was an iOS developer today, uh, because these days, like from the podcast, we also get like listeners from both ends. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, uh, we should run down the tools for Android that like, you know, if you were to start like a brand new application and you want the best of the best, what would Valera use on an Android application? We <laughs> definitely want to run through that list. But uh, mm-hmm. before we get to that point on the iOS side, so is there basically no solution? It's just like spin up one simulator and just run through all the tests one after the other. Is that uh, currently the solution or are you exploring different things there? So there's uh, there are some open source projects and we've adopted one of them. There's a project called uh, Blue Pill. Um, this is mm-hmm. an open source project from LinkedIn. Um, this is not the equivalent of Orchestrator. It's kind of, a, it's a test runner. It's more of the equivalent of Flank. Ah, but it's a test runner that uh, parallelizes tests across simulators, uh, but does it locally on a machine. It doesn't do any remote parallelization like Flank does. Um, and oh, uh, it's it's I think it's a fairly solid piece of infrastructure. Um, and LinkedIn actively maintains it, and they actually have a uh, they do iOS testing at scale. Um, but uh, it does not currently have this process level isolation for every test method. I talked to the authors of of that tool, and they said that the performance penalty uh, they they think would be too high um, in order to do that. And I I agree with them that uh, in this you know when you when you do it this way, you cannot parallelize within a single machine. You have to parallelize uh, sort of remotely uh, across uh, many different machines. Uh, I've talked to companies that um, have good iOS testing stories. So uh, I believe Pinterest has built something similar to Orchestrator where they, and they do parallelize across many different um, uh, remote machines, Hmm. uh, their test suite. Uh, They, I'm not sure whether they run their test suite as a PR check, so they may not run it as frequently. And uh, this is just something that they had to, you know, build by hand. Uh, so it's, I, it is not easy. You're really kind of, um, there's nothing that, I, that would just give you that out of the box. And you mentioned PR tech. So just for listeners mm-hmm. who want to understand, uh, this is basically if you use Git or GitHub and you have a PR up, you basically aren't allowed to, uh, there are certain checks that are run on this PR. And so that's what you mean by PR checks, right? So in this case, run all your tests. And if your tests pass, then your check passes or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer in um, blocking uh, sort of <laughs> PR checks <laughs> that don't allow you to merge if, if all yeah. the tests don't pass. Yeah, we do the same too. And like, I think it, I mean, we will cover this uh, in this episode basically, but like, I think a large part of the problem then is flaky tests, because if you have flaky tests and you have build blockers, you can mm-hmm. have a very angry mobile team. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, that's why you yeah you gotta avoid the flaky tests. It is the it's probably uh, one of the main things that my team works on uh, at Slack, and we'll probably continue working on that for a while. So I guess we were talking about the list of different tools for Android. Uh, so can you like run us down like what do you think is an ideal setup for anyone who wants to like really get. And I understand this is going to differ between like large companies and smaller and like, you know, indie developers. But yeah, in your opinion, what is a good uh, set of tools for any Android developer to be testing today? That's that's an interesting question. I haven't thought about it for a long time. And I will caveat this with uh, the fact that I haven't really done Android development kind of, uh, you know, feature development in a a while. Uh, So I can talk about what we have at Slack maybe and start there. I I, th- I think we we didn't really um, 
try to uh, kind of reinvent the wheel here or anything like that. We, when I, as I said, when I arrived, I wrote the first espresso test that we had. Um, and thankfully the application uh, architecture was already set up. It had dagger. Um, so we could, you know, it was easy to swap out components um, and set up test state. Um, and that's, that's I, I, I would say that I would, I would recommend is focusing more on your application architecture actually. Um, and and also the test architecture and uh, making sure that you can easily uh, set up easily and in a maintainable way uh, set up test state. Um, we kind of, I, we presented on a pattern, I think at one of the droid cons a while back um, with a colleague of mine called power pack, something that we call power pack just because you know, robots power pack go together. Uh, really? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think that this this has actually uh, bought us a lot of um, test sort of maintenance and stability on Android, and and also we now have written one for iOS. Uh, but essentially, this is a, some, a layer of abstraction that allows you to quickly say um, set up the sort of the layer of your your application that is specific to your application. So, for example, for Slack, that would be I want a, uh, the application to start with three channels and five users, and I want their the status to be sent to blah blah. Uh, so just something that is very descriptive, very um, easy to to kind of express um, in a declarative way, uh, and then behind the scenes, the uh, that framework kind of that layer handles uh, setting up, uh, swapping out all of your dependencies in a thread safe way, um, and uh, just sort of guarantees that it can hook up everything correctly, that your application can launch in a sane state. That I think has been this probably the single biggest lever that we've had uh, for um, for having authoring reliable tests. That's interesting because usually when you ask folks like, oh, how do you write like good tests? Like usually good architecture is almost like, yeah, they assume it, but they don't call it out. So it's nice that you're calling it out. And you're, uh, you're saying specifically things like Dagger that help with dependency injection like are good uh, to be using yeah. in order to get uh, testing. Is that the idea? Yeah, I, I think this is a strong belief of mine. And uh, also the testing um, is not only is it good for catching regressions, um, it is a good tool for that, but it's also a very important tool for forcing you to write uh, good code. Uh, and so when you start with the, sort of the problem statement that I would like to have reliable tests that are easy to author in my code base. Mm -hmm. uh, that actually is a natural forcing function for a lot of decisions that you can make. So you you then need to start thinking about layers of your ar architecture, how you can swap out those layers during testing, um, and uh, you know how maybe you can do some uh, think about thread safety. So for example, uh, making sure that all of your data is immutable. Uh, and also that you can maybe switch out uh, sort of uh, your tests to run on a you know single thread um, with with your app. So so all of these architectural decisions then then just come in and they they naturally uh, I think force you to make the correct decisions if you if you want to have reliable fast tests. Uh, so I think uh, that's why I'm a big advocate for developers also owning testing. You know not just the testing is not just for regression, it's really a development tool. The question I have, I think a lot of people are gonna have that are listeners of the show is, they may be interested in testing, they have an application, and maybe they're in a very similar situation that you were in when you joined Slack, is that there was no, maybe no test there. Um, if mm -hmm. you have mentioned a few things, uh, you know, like make sure proper layering, maybe dependency injection and stuff like that, but if you had to consult 
someone asking you right now, hey, I have an application. I don't have any tests. What's kind of maybe the general guideline that you would recommend for someone to kind of start with uh, so they can make their application more testable? Or maybe it's just a complete mess and they want to get to that state. What would you recommend? Would it be, you know, make sure you have dependency injection, make sure you're using this type of layering. Do you have a prescription that you would might be able to provide or just a, a couple of recommendations? Yeah, the, I think the, the if people want to, the, the blog post that I mentioned, um, uh, this is on the Slack engineering blog uh, kind of goes into most of the stuff in detail, but I think the important layering is, so anything that really, uh, well, here's, here's how I would start. And this is exactly how I started. I, mm -hmm. I wrote a simple espresso test that launched the, say, like the settings screen of your application. Most yeah. applications have a settings screen. The settings screen is usually behind the login. Um, and so when you start writing this test, you, you just, you think, okay, this is going to work and you just launch it and you see the login screen. And then you start saying, oh, where, what launches that login screen? How do I actually get to the settings screen directly without having to go through the login process? And then you start digging through the dependency injection graph. Um, if you have one, <laughs> well, you always have one. Uh, and you start uh, saying, oh, this component uh, is what's la launching the screen. So how can I swap out this component and make it believe that uh, this, um, we are in a logged in state. So then you swap that out. If, Hopefully you have Dagger already, and it's um, or some sort of dependency injection, and it's easy to do so. Uh, so you set up the sort of the that uh, dependency uh, okay. and and configure it properly, and then you hit the next blocker. You know that oh maybe my screen has no data, and then you start thinking well okay how do I populate the data, um, you know without actually manually enter it uh, mm -hmm. as as a as a user, and so then you're starting to look at the the data layer and. Maybe your data comes from a database. Um, and of course, one, one simple thing you could do is just place a database on the disk. But uh, I would I, I would you know recommend going one layer above and whatever is reading from the database and swapping out that layer. So okay. we have a layer of uh, what we call repository layer mm -hmm. uh, or data providers. Uh, they have different names and and so then you you know you end up setting up that state and actually a lot of i think a lot of uh set, state setup happens um kind of in more modern applications happens at that level and then you might hit some apis you know and you might uh, you might see oh like this this screen is failing because this api call happened and it uh you know it uh, it didn't return by the way, yeah, another thing I would recommend doing is shutting off uh, sort of uh, internet on your emulator when you're doing this so that you, oh. you could actually uh, make, you know, make sure that your test is hermetic and it's not reaching out, not depending on network state. And so you're going to just hit all these uh, different cases until you finally, uh, you know, manage to set up all your dependencies in a way that launches that screen directly and makes it you know, show you the data that it wants. And then from there, I think it's actually very straightforward to use Espresso uh, to just manipulate a few, um, you know, the settings or check things on the screen. So really, I think I think the most most work happens at the the, the level of uh, setting up. Yeah. And then you do this for a couple screens, you're going to notice certain patterns, you're going to notice, oh, I'm always, um, you know, setting up this class. Um, and uh, doing this thing. And you're going to start seeing duplicate code. And at that point, I, I would recommend that you start thinking about a new layer of abstraction uh, and kind of hiding all of that uh, difficult test setup in, um, in some sort of uh, an API, what we call PowerPack. Uh, 
So, so that's, that's kind of my recommendation, very hands-on, you know, kind of pragmatic way. Excellent. Yeah. Definitely a lot of steps involved. I've felt the same exact situations that you've uh, recommended many times, just starting with that one simple screen. And like, as you said, you kind of rewind from there and it's like, all right, well, how do I even get to, to launch a screen? Where does that data come from? Okay. And you kind of have to solve each one of those problems before you can kind of get to a more stable environment. So mm-hmm. very good. Thank you. I had a quick follow-up to one thing you said, and this is, uh, you mentioned, well, okay, and you wanted, and this is like before you mentioned uh, the power pack uh, bits, uh, you said like, oh, you want to write good tests, make them descriptive. Uh, mm-hmm. What are like some tools that you've used to write descriptive tests? Because this is, you know, this is like one of those things where you can get into like, uh, you know, a testing argument forever. Like, you know, it's one of those never ending discussions, but in your opinion, you know, how do you define like a good descriptive test? I think uh, I'll just go directly to and say that I think the we don't need to reinvent the wheel here and the, the robot pattern, uh, which I believe Jake uh, first brought to Android. And that comes from the page object pattern uh, in web testing. Uh, I, I think that that gives you essentially, you know, you want to separate out the what uh, from the how. Mm. Uh, and I think this was in Jake's presentation. That's kind of like what PowerPack is doing on the side of setting up test data, setting up the what, uh, hiding the how behind uh, an interface, which is the what. So your test should just be kind of saying uh, they should, you know, they should read easily. You should you should be able to uh, to read it in a, in a almost like a manual testing script, right? So mm. it's saying, given that I have three channels and five users. Uh, uh, like, uh, t- you know, click, well, you don't want to say click on this button. You want to say switch channels, for example, or, or uh, send a direct message to this user. Uh, I'm using Slack lingo because that's what I know. Uh, so you want to express your test in that way. And then how you do that is expressed already in kind of the underlying, you know, espresso kind of on view interactions. Um, so, so that's, uh, that's what I would recommend. Um, we at Slack we we wrote a bunch of these robots for our end-to-end tests, and developers have started using them for regular instrumentation, um, sort of regular what I would call UI unit tests. Oh, nice! And it's it's a it's a nice layer of abstraction that helps you uh, first of all just have much better, more readable uh, tests, uh, but also again there's this concept of shared code and uh kind of everyone maintains the robots and um it's easier to say if there is a, a systemic error that you need to fix it's easier to fix it in one place than go all over uh, and you know have to modify a bunch of different tests yeah i mean the one thing that i've personally found extremely helpful uh, especially like with a lot of the engineers that i work i always tell them like look i know it seems sometimes like a drag but it's really important the whole BDD style thing, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. given XXX, when XXY, YYY, then, you know, ZZZ. Uh, uh, yeah. Even like, you know, I think just forcing yourself, because if you've never done this, it's really hard the first time because you typically what would happen in the early days of my testing, I would just say, you know what, oh, test this method or just, you know, you almost, it's like how people write get commit, uh, get commits where like, you know, the commit log just has like a bunch of garbage, right? They're like, oh, whatever, test this method, test that method. And that's like, it's so, it's better than nothing in the early days, mm-hmm. but that's like so far from where you want to be, right? And like this robot pattern that you mentioned is also like a good one. 
the BDD style thing where I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like any test you write can be worded in that fashion. And what you'll notice is sometimes when it gets extremely hard to word your test in that fashion, you know you're probably not writing the test that you should be writing, right? You're writing more of those how tests versus the what tests. And you want to be focusing mm-hmm. on the what tests, right? Because in the end, you don't necessarily care that much about what happens in the innards. You only care about the inputs and the outputs. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all good points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll agree with you. Usually when we talk about testing, I think the uh, big thing that comes about is like TDD, right? Uh, do you have any opinions on TDD? Should we <laughs> be doing TDD? Is it even possible for mobile testing? Is it worth it? What are your opinions there? I think that it's possible. Uh, I And I also believe that it's worth it. Uh, and I will also admit that I don't always do it myself. So it's <laughs> kind of hard to... Uh, to I, I do really try hard uh, to uh, to do that. And when I do it, I, I'm always happy that I did it. Let's put it that way. So I have to overcome some sort of resistance because, of course, the, um, the, the urge is to just go and write the code first. And then, you know, you just I, I think there's almost this like this fear. I was like, oh, is my code going to work? You know, <laughs> and I just need to, like, get this down into my code like, really quickly before I forget it or something like that, at least for me. But I uh, I think that, um, yeah, starting if you know that this code is going to live for for a long time and it's not product prototype throwaway code. Uh, I think that starting with uh, with tests is uh, is a good place to start. I, I, you know, I, I cannot say that I'm an expert on TDD, though, that, that I, you know, really systematically follow this sort of like write one test and, you know, write some code to make it work. Uh, I have experimented with it a few times, and I, I think every single time I did it, I liked it. Um, it's almost like, uh, for example, that I, th- I think it's a similar problem to uh, when you're doing some kind of a manual uh, process and you can probably get it done in like five minutes, but you could also write a script. It's going to take you a little bit longer. Uh, I also sometimes think about that. And, and sometimes I just say, okay, I'm just going to do it because I'm only doing it once. But then invariably I end up doing it many times. And I regret that I didn't write that script to automate it. Uh, and so I think uh, maybe also with TDD, there, there's something similar where you have that test and you know you can kind of quickly and continuously iterate by running these tests i think it's uh, it's a really nice way to work and it's uh, again i'll come back to this that I, I heard this from another talk um uh that where tdd is just a natural forcing function for writing clean you know code so i think that that, that i really buy into so I, I wouldn't say like I wouldn't force developers to really, really strictly follow TD, but I definitely would say uh, at the level of the PR of of when you're submitting a change and you want to merge it into mainline, then that it, this is uh, you absolutely must have uh, all the tests there. So uh, at that level, I, I am you know t- sort of uh, testing must must be there um, uh, when you're merging anything uh, into mainline, but. At the level of actually sitting at your ID and, and writing the code, I I wouldn't uh, say um, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, that's <laughs> for, fine. You know, to force everyone to do it. Uh, yeah. Don, I'm curious. I know you also like have been a big TDD person in the past. Uh, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts there? Um, similar. I'm self-admittedly I don't do TDD all the time. I think there's a misconception about TDD where you have to do TDD all the time, otherwise you're not doing it. And I'm sure there'll be people that argue that, but my problem with it is sometimes that I don't know what I need to test. And I feel that 
to do TDD effectively, you kind of have to know where you're going already. And then at that point, you can kind of start driving the test. And there's different layers too. So I may know that the um, a particular, I may start at a high level, like an espresso level test, a UI test. All right, well, I know this thing needs to be on the screen and I'm just going to write a test for that. And then I can go implement it. I find value in that. But if I don't know what I don't know yet, maybe I'm using a new API and I want to test it. Well, I can't even write a test for it if I don't know what I'm doing. So I will follow it if I'm um, very kind of clear on where I'm going. But if I don't, then I'll kind of I'll kind of spike out some code, test it out, then come back, write a test, and kind of do it a little bit backwards. But uh, I do believe that testing is should be required for a lot of the major features that people put out there. But what about you? How do you handle it? Very similar, I feel, like to what you folks are saying, right? For me, when I'm just starting off the feature, I actually don't write my tests right away. I like try to play with the code and see where I'm going. And maybe that's like, you know, it is what Valero was saying. Maybe that's just my fear of wanting, like I might forget it. So I just like want to put something down. Um, but usually what I do is I have a basic sense of the feature. And once I have something, like I have an understanding of where it's going, like, okay, these are the APIs I'm going to use. This is the repository that I'm going to use. And I have that uh, a sense of like how my view model and my activity or whatever are interacting. Then immediately... It takes me a good half a day, like again, for the setup, right? So like I definitely set up my tests and make sure that I have them uh, uh, written down at least for the portions that I've written the feature. And what I've noticed is once I have that working, then every time I layer in more business cases or I add more features, it becomes easier for me to actually start with the tests. And I'm not very religious about the TDD aspect of it at all by any means. But what I definitely do is I've tried to force myself to get into the habit where if I notice uh, as I'm talking to like, you know, a product person or designer and they're like, oh, this is another, you know, uh, use case or this is one of those, this is business logic that needs to happen in the screen. Once I have things working like harmoniously, at least like with the walking skeleton, so to speak, in there, then it becomes very easy for me. I was like, oh, what is that test case? Okay, so then actually what I do is I drop into my tests. I actually write it out. I write the test case. I don't even, uh, meaning, you know, I write the description of it, like, you know, the whole given when then thing. I plop that in there and I just like keep that as like, you know, my mental model of, okay, this needs to happen. And then I actually go back, write the code and then come back and write the test. So it's not exactly TDD per se, but it's in that vein where I feel I, I, I definitely put it down as a test. So I know that that has to go in before, like, you know, I commit to it, it, put it up as a PR to mainline. I know that, okay, there's that bit of code that describes the test that needs to get flushed out. So uh, that's that's worked out pretty well for me. Uh, so I'm not very religious by any means uh, when it comes to TDD. One of the questions I think that gets asked quite a bit is what's the, the big difference between different types of testing that are out there? Is, you know, the, you know, what am I going to go with? Is it a UI test or am I going to write a unit test or an integration test? Do you have any input on how you would explain that to a fellow coworker or maybe who's someone who's just getting into testing so they can kind of wrap their head around it, maybe where they should start? Sure. I think, uh, the, yeah, the, the testing pyramid is, is always a, a fun one uh, mm -hmm. on Android because I think 
it, the concept probably came from, I, again, I'm guessing web development or maybe even earlier. And it's sort of, we're trying to fit it in, you know, with the, the lingo and it's not always working. Um, for me, the, the clear separation is um, on Android is the JVM, JVM unit tests that are independent mm-hmm. of the Android platform. Uh, so you want the, most of your business logic to live in pure Kotlin um, classes that you can test without any Android dependencies. So that's uh, that's level kind of the low the lowest level um, of the pyramid. Um, and then the next level for me is um, what I would call on-device unit tests. So these are headless uh, uh, tests that need the um, the Android event environment, and this this gets into an interesting topic of whether you want to use RoboElectric or not to <laughs> uh, to drive that. Uh, I you know we can discuss that. Um, the the next level after that is what I would call maybe, and I've seen some in some of the Android docs that I was just reading, uh, a UI unit test. So a very I, I call this a targeted and hermetic uh, unit test that just tests a single screen, or maybe at most two screens. Um, and you know, just making sure that that screen is wired up properly, can display the data and not crash uh, when you launch it, uh, and maybe you do a few simple interactions. And then after that, you you move up the pyramid and you end up with um, end-to-end tests. Um, and whether that you know that looks like a record and replay for you, and you stub out the network, or um, you you're actually hitting the network. Um, you know, the, both are, are possible there. And, may, and then maybe at the very top level, there's uh, some specialty tests that uh, are something something like performance tests. Although I think performance tests can also, they, they can go, um, they also can go at the unit test level if you're trying to really isolate the performance of a single component. So that's my quick run through uh, the, the Android, uh, the way that I, I uh, think about uh, the, the test pyramid on Android. No, I like that. Uh, it, I guess, like, yeah, that's the other big thing I've, I found for the most part. Like, it's the, you know, you called out the using an instrument, uh, using instrumentation versus not using instrumentation. I think mm-hmm. a lot of arguments that I see online, either like on Stack Overflow or Reddit or like Twitter, is people arguing like, oh, UI tests versus integration tests and in 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 the land of mobile like yes there is that differentiation but really what matters for us i think practically at least what has mattered to me is like that differentiation between instrumentation and like non-instrumentation tests right and yeah. beyond that it honestly yeah i know it's not a yeah. very popular opinion but beyond that it doesn't really matter right you, you categorize your tests in those two buckets and like you rightly said, uh, you want to try and get as much into the non-instrumentation bucket, especially the business logic and the use cases that don't have any Android dependencies. And it's totally fine to have like a bucket of like a bunch of tests in that other bucket, right? Where you have, uh, where you need like the mobile, uh, you need some aspect of like how the uh, mobile platform works to run those tests. Yeah, I think again, I would say on Android, those are fairly cheap to run. Um, uh, with Flank and Firebase Test Lab, and or any other sort of testing labs, uh, I, I'm not. I, I don't really recommend. That. We we don't, we haven't been having this sort of uh, conversation uh, at least at Slack of should we be moving uh, more tests away from instrumentation land. Uh, it's it's really kind of not not a big problem right now. And so that's like actually a good segue. I think uh, one of the things I usually love to hear about when I'm talking to different companies is like, what exactly is your testing setup? I know you gave us a lot of 
good information about how it goes. But like at Slack, yeah, can you tell us a little more about like the setup that you have going in in Slack? Like, you know, how many, like, yeah, how many tests do you have? Uh, you know, what kind of testing do you do? Like, if there anything that you'd like to call out that you guys do differently besides uh, what you mentioned? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, I I would say we're fairly traditional. I like to think maybe one one differentiator is that I, as I said, I'm a big believer in the fact that uh, in blocking PR checks, and I I I have stated this in in this way that I think that and also developers writing tests, uh, that if we're going to continuously run any tests, they must run as a blocking PR check. Um, so that means that uh, even our intent tests, uh, even though um, they are considerably more flaky, unfortunately, than uh, than all the other tests we have, uh, run as blocking PR checks. Uh, and, and the reason for that is I, I've been in this industry now since 2005, and I've been sort of adjacent or in testing test automation my entire career. Uh, I have never seen, uh, without a dedicated team, uh, I've never seen a test suite that is uh, not a blocking PR check, uh, and that that it you know not continuously breaking, and someone is like trying to scramble and fix uh, all the sort of the the changes that broke that test suite. Uh, and I I've been in that uh, role myself. I really did not like it. I would really uh, some people may like it. Um, I don't I don't mind it at all. Uh, but I I kind of like strongly believe that developers are fully capable of maintaining these test suites, but but they need to know that they're going to be breaking them at the PR level uh, before they merge and they break it, not after. Because once the PR is merged, it is uh, I, I it's gone. <laughs> you know, like no one is you know a developer when they hit that merge button, they they you know resolve that Jira ticket. That's they they're moving on. They're they're going somewhere else. So at least at the, the this you know Slack scale. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, I'm a strong believer in that. And and that means that if we're going to be running all of our tests as a blocking PR check, uh, that absolutely means that the tests must be stable and must execute reasonably fast. So reasonably, let's say within uh, within like 30 minutes, like all of all of your tests uh, as when, you know, uh, when you submit a PR. How many approximately? How many tests do you have, like in Slack? I know it, it means nothing. I know, like, but it, this is just purely out of my curiosity. <laughs> and how long does it take to run those tests? So we have, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna give approximate numbers. So I think we have around ten thousand JVM uh, unit tests. We have, I think, roughly two thousand instrumentation tests, and about let's say half of them are UI tests. Oh, wow. and half of them are non-UI tests. Uh, and then we have around eighty. I think it's too many, but we have around 80 end-to-end tests that actually hit a production backend that are running as PR checks. Uh, and I, I gave a, a, another DroidCon talk, uh, DroidCon SF, around uh, how we do uh, UI testing and how we actually got sort of developers to uh, embrace, uh, or sorry, not UI testing, end-to-end testing, and how we kind of made it a blocking PR check, which means that it's effectively maintained by the development team. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that, that's our current currently our testing pyramid. We we used to have a small set of uh, performance tests that ran on every PR. Also, we kind of decided to shut down that pipeline. It became too much of a maintenance cost. So mm. that is bonkers, by the way. <laughs> really, uh, in a good <laughs> okay. way. Like that, yeah. Uh-huh. You mentioned you actually run end-to-end tests that hit production pipelines. Uh, how does uh, that work? Because yeah. uh, 
I mean, it, did you have like a test account or something that's like running on like production API endpoints and you just have like uh, your Slack messages go in and uh, come out? Is that how it works or I'm curious? Yeah, I mean, we, we have, we've provisioned uh, a large set of test users uh, in, a, in a staging environment and uh, we we have our tests kind of randomly pick one of those users. It's not not an ideal way. Of course, ideally you would be setting up uh, user uh, and maybe even the, the entire team um, or Slack workspace uh, from scratch for every single test. But we had to be pragmatic because we're we're also dealing with a um, sort of the, our staging production environment doesn't allow you to do that in an automated way, for for good reasons, for security reasons. Uh, so we decided, but we you know that we had a trade off to make. Uh, we we could have either used a QA environment that was less stable but allowed you to uh, to create things on the fly, or we could uh, hit a production environment that was really stable or much more stable. Um, but that doesn't allow you to to create state on the fly. And so far, I think that this approach uh, of just provisioning a large set of users and having tests pick one user um, at random, so far it hasn't bit us, and you know we we haven't reached a scale where we uh, we're dealing with problems due to that. But I think uh, I here's the thing about end-to-end testing. I think that you have to be really strict about keeping the number of tests small. I think that, for example, 80, 80 tests for us is too too large. I think we we should be working towards scaling that down to maybe, you know, twenty five uh, really important use cases that just have to always work and making those tests super reliable as much you know as reliable as they can be. Um, a lot of our our problems with end to end testing, for example, are mostly around backend. You know, the backend APIs are flaky and you know maybe yeah certain use cases are not working we actually detect some incidents you know using our 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 android end to end tests so uh, that's that's kind of uh, interesting we we see it coming before the incident is even called oh wow um, that's yeah, yeah that's i guess testament to <laughs> something working mm-hmm. i guess right yeah there's a lot of challenges there with end to end testing I, I can you know i can talk um, more about that if you're interested but um, i would recommend you know that that's kind of like I would say an advanced layer that you want to build later after you you have all your your other uh, bits and pieces in place. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I well, I like that idea in general, and we'll make sure we try to like pick a lot of the links that you mentioned, like uh, especially to the talks that you've given on these subjects. We'll make sure to add them in the resources as well. Sure. This was awesome. Wow. Yeah, I've testing is one of those evergreen topics, right? You feel like you've done a lot of things, but then you talk to someone like Valera, and then you realize, wow, there's like a lot of interesting stuff that you can still do, and there's so much like. Yeah, there's a long ways to go, uh, as always with testing, right? Like, it's one of those things where you can always make it better. It doesn't seem to ever hit, like, a point where you're like, okay, I'm good. I think we're, like, good with how we have our tests going. Thank you for sharing all of this yeah, today. Thank you. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the I, I'm also really excited about uh, the state of testing with Compose. I think that there's a op- real opportunity there to uh, make things significantly ev- even better than they are right now. Have you been following that at all? Like, I'm curious, like, in terms of how Jetpack Compose is. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And you have really good things to say? I haven't, so I'll caveat this. So I haven't actually uh, gone ahead and, uh, say, written tests um, with the Compose sort of uh, framework. I read the testing guide and I, I some of the things give me hope that um, some of the bits and pieces that I've read in that guide, uh, it's fairly small, um, 
give me hope that uh, the team has sort of provided uh, synchronization uh, for the test framework out of the box. Uh, Espresso had to do some really gnarly uh, things with with private APIs um, and just yeah hijacking the main thread. That I hope that the Compose test framework doesn't have to do because uh, they just built it from scratch, you know, with testing in mind. Um, and I, I do have it on my, I have a list of notes that I actually wanted to sort of think with the Compose team about uh, just to ask questions and uh, maybe provide some little bit of feedback. But there is the Compose testing guide. It's already in the in Android documentation. I, and uh, I encourage everyone to kind of start looking at it, maybe play around with it and provide feedback to the team because it's, uh, I believe it's currently in the alpha stages. So uh, there's still opportunity to change um, change things. This is great. Thank you so much for like sharing all this stuff. We'll uh, make sure to add links to the show notes, links in the show notes to all the stuff that uh, you've mentioned. Thanks for taking the time and sharing your thoughts today. This is this is like super useful for us. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I love talking about testing. So uh, yeah, anytime. And thanks for inviting me. Our pleasure. Any parting thoughts before we yeah wind this episode down with respect to testing? Do you have any sage advice for? Uh, are young developers out there who <laughs> young in terms of testing? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do have one thought that I, I really believe that it's, uh, it's a very, um, we, we see it time and time again. It's a very important area. It's, it's not an afterthought. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that testing, maybe test automation gets sort of like this reputation that it's kind of a lower level of uh, engineering. Um, and I, I would encourage uh, the people that are starting out to really kind of shift that mindset and really, um, you know, try to focus on it and master it early. Uh, It's going to really set you up for kind of success in your career. That's good advice. Good advice. Definitely. If folks wanted to reach out to you or like, you know, just find out more about testing or if they had specific questions or follow up from this episode, what would be a good way to reach you? I'm on Twitter. And um, open, always open to having a discussion there. And we'll make sure to add a link to that. Don, if you want to share your thoughts on testing or if people want to get a hold of you, what's a good place to do that? Uh, same. Best place is Twitter. And what about you if folks want to get a hold of you? Uh, same. Twitter. We're all on Twitter. And we'll make sure to add links to our uh, user handles or usernames and folks can reach out to us. Thanks again for joining the show. All right, thank you. We will catch you folks in the next episode. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.